Do you want to go deeper in your faith even while you're on the go? No matter how busy the season you're in, Access More has a library of faith-based podcasts to help you grow spiritually. With podcasts from Christian thought leaders such as Christine Kane, Lisa Harper, Taryn Wells, and Bob Goff, you can hear podcasts on religion, culture, family, entertainment, and so much more. Access More gives you a safe space to find inspiring conversations about faith. Start listening today at accessmore.com. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. And I think, wow, you know, no matter where we are, God is there and he can rescue us and he delights in us. And when you're down and when you're sad and you are feeling unlovable because humans are human, knowing that the God of the universe, he delights in you and he, he can help you. Like that's the ultimate for me. Thank you for stopping by my podcast, Finding God in Our Pain. Welcome. Hi, I'm your host, Sherry Pilkington. In this podcast, you'll hear firsthand stories of how the God of the Holy Bible meets real people in their real pain. We look at the good God we profess through the lens of pain and suffering. I'm processing the most painful season of my life after unexpectedly losing Larry, my husband of 32 years. In my journey, I've discovered that there are many types of deaths. Maybe you've asked God, how could you let this happen? Why me? Where are you, God? Do you even care? What am I supposed to do with my life now? Here at Finding God in Our Pain, we don't shy away from the tough questions. I ask them to my guests. I share what I've experienced. We give real examples of how God shows up in the darkest, most painful situations in life. May the stories that you hear and the advice you receive encourage you to engage the heart of God about your painful places or memories or experiences or even your unmet expectations. Lean in close to God's heart because he speaks beautiful things in the dark. Jen Hardy is a remarkable woman in my view. So our conversation touches on a variety of topics. We talk about the meaning of life and how to find it, the beauty of being in your 50s plus. We talked about her homeschooling career with her seven children, two of whom are on the spectrum. But here's why you can call her a miracle. She's exceeded and continues to surpass her life expectancy based on a chronic illness that she lives with on a daily basis. She has a depth of revelation that has been forged in the midst of serious life adversity. Of all the interesting things we talked about, here's what stood out for me. Jen has made the most of every season of life and every challenge that has presented itself. She doesn't merely exist in her circumstances, nor does she simply get through it. She capitalizes on it. Every chapter of her life finds her pressing into God to discover who he is and who she's been created to be with the various challenges that she's experienced. Be encouraged today by the wealth and the beauty of all that Jen Hardy shares with us. All that we're getting ready to discuss has been developed in the environment of be your environment, Jen, of being told she was going to die because of a chronic illness. She's married with seven children, two of whom are autistic. And I say that because being married and having children is naturally attached to a load of duties and responsibilities. And if any of my listeners have children on the spectrum, you know that there is a continual level of intuitiveness that it takes to engage and protect your children throughout any given day. So all of these tasks are time consuming at best, and it can drain you of your energy and focus. And then what's left for you as an individual woman, the woman you've never stopped being in the midst of all the other roles that you fulfill. 
So my point is, Jen knows how to cut through all the unnecessary things and get right to the heart of the matter. And with that in mind, Jen, let's start with this lightweight question. With regard to your perspective, what is the meaning of life? I love that you prefaced that with being a lightweight question. That's so amazing. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I think there's two parts to that question, actually. The the number one thing is obviously leading a life that we know that God wants us to lead and meeting him in heaven. I mean, that's number one, right? Yeah. I mean, that as a Christian, that's what everybody's goal is. But as far as being human, right? The one thing, the meaning of life. I don't know if you ever watched a movie called City Slickers with Billy Crystal. There's a movie, there's a part in there where he's, he's having his midlife crisis throughout the movie until the very end. And there's a part where he's just torn up and he's talking to this cowboy and he says, you know, I'm just trying to figure out, you know, what is life all about? And the cowboy holds up one finger. He's like, that's it. And Billy Crystal's character said, but what is it? And he said, well, that depends on you because it's different for each person. And I think the, the secret to life is finding that one thing. What is your purpose? What is my purpose? How does God want us to fulfill our purpose here on earth? And once you discover that and run with it, life is amazing. But getting to find that one thing, it's, that's the tricky part. The tricky part. So how does one find that? Is it a matter of engaging the heart of God to discover what he's already planted or, you know, fused in the DNA of who he made you? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, seeking God, pursuing God, discovering what God wants for you and seeking wise counsel. I think that's another thing that that we lose in our culture is is the ability to let our guard down enough to reach out to the people that know more than we do and admit that they know more than we do and ask them and ask a bunch of different people. Where do you see me? Where do you see my strengths? What do you see me doing well and taking that all in? And then that might help you as well decide where you should go and what you should be doing. I think that one word sentence is very powerful. Help. <laughs> or maybe two word help me. Uh, so I think there's a lot of power in saying help and then looking for those who do have uh, more of an advantage, maybe more time in the industry you're looking at or whatever it is you're pursuing. They have paid some dues in there. I was just sharing the other day with some people. There are two types of people that I value very much within my inner circle. And by inner circle, I mean, these are people who've invested in my life. I've invested in theirs. I trust their opinions. And that would be the person who calls you on your stuff or your crap and which they hold you responsible for your decisions and things you've done. And they were like, that's not right. You shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have said that. What were you thinking kind of thing? And so they call you in to be more purposeful, more intentional with what you do and say. And then the second person is the one where you've messed up really bad and they come alongside you. They're an encourager and they say, Hey, look, we're all human. I hate that that happened but you'll, you'll, you'll be fine. You can do it again. So the person who is a straight shooter and then the person who is the encourager. So I find great value in those. So how does one find their meaning? What is this pursuit where we go out and we're looking for our meaning? Well, I think, you know, look at the things that you're already doing, right? What, where do you tend to spend the most time? and money. Because as we know, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, right? So what are you doing? And so for me, this is our 24th year homeschooling. So I learned, it was funny, I didn't think that I wanted children. 
uh, found myself pregnant at 20 and knew from the beginning that keeping the baby was my only option because that's just how I believed. And so my life and how I thought it was going to go changed in an, from the second I thought that might be a possibility. And over the course of those months, fell in love with the idea of being a mom. And I went from being, okay, I'm going to go this career driven, you know, at, at 20, I was already working at this fortune 500 company and I had plans to do all these things and decided, no, you know what, this baby, this is it. I, I, God showed me, I was very clear what my purpose was and went on to then when she was in fifth grade, we started homeschooling and that was my life. That was my entire life was raising these kids, homeschooling them. And just that was, I was in this bubble and it was amazing and beautiful and wonderful. And it was clear that that was it. Um, and then I went through a time of enlightenment where I realized the situation I thought was beautiful and perfect was not. And I went through a divorce that I won't even talk about because that does not need to be said. And I know that God hates divorce and which is why it hadn't happened. But I believe that God also hates infidelity and addiction. And after a lot of time, it's not going to stop um, and abuse. And I think right there, that's, you know, um, so I just want to be clear that I don't think that just it's the answer if you're a little bit unhappy um, because it, it it's tears apart everybody that goes through it. So yeah. it's, I'm sorry, it's making me a little teary. Um, anyway. And so the amazing thing was at that point, I thought, okay, well now I'm not going to be this homeschooling mom. I'm not going to be able to do this thing. So I went back to work and I'll tell you what it tore me up. It tore me up because I knew that my place was with my kids. Um, a year later, I met this man who was the most amazing human I've ever met. He proposed to me six weeks later. <laughs> and within six months, I was back to homeschooling my four kids. Awesome. Okay. It was such a gift. And I really thought, okay, that's it. This is it for me. I'm back. This is, you know, God's given me this back. This is amazing because not only do I have my homeschooling back, but I've got this amazing man next to me leading our family. Um, and then I got really sick. And in 2014, I spent six different weeks in the hospital, had 20 different day long infusions at home. And I was like, wait a minute, how can I parent if I'm not at home? How can I parent if I can't get out of bed? I spent four months in a wheelchair, couldn't leave my bedroom because my bedroom had been the garage and there were steps to go up. I couldn't walk a step, not even with assistance. And so boy, did that change my life, yeah. you know? And yeah. I was looking, you know, how can I parent? How can I be a mom if, you know, so we set up camp chairs in my bedroom and my friends and their, my kids and their friends, my friends, everybody would come sit in there with me. And that was good, but I couldn't do everything I was used to doing. And so my husband said, well, you know, if you're looking for this information and you can't find it, I think it's your job to create it. And so... I thought, well, that's pretty intense. But after a year of figuring out some systems and how to get things done and how to efficiently get my kids to help so they didn't feel like they were the maid and the butler, but they could still be doing things, I started blogging about it. And it was it was kind of ugly. You know, I didn't know what I was doing, but I was getting the word out to the two people that read it every day, you know, whatever. But it was fun. And it was it gave me something to focus on because 
you know, my older kids were growing up and they were not wanting all my attention. And, you know, kids don't, they want you to be there, but not 24 hours a day staring at them as they get older. And I did have a two and a four-year-old at home that did need a lot of attention. They're the ones that now that have autism that we didn't know at that time. But, um, but then I wrote a book about it because I thought, well, then I could just put this in everyone's hands, right? The sick mom's guide to having fun again. And it had a hundred things to do, 50 of them. If you can't get off the couch that way, if you're feeling sick, you don't have to Google things and try to remember and save it. You can just pull out the book, hand it to your child and say, what do you want to do today? And they could do it. And, um, but I, I kept going with my blog and then I heard about this podcasting thing. This is it, right? This is how I can get this information to a lot of people. And within relatively little amount of time each week, when you just have one podcast. Right. Yeah. Cause <laughs> you so have I, two now. <laughs> I have two now. Yeah. Which is a little overwhelming, but you know, I could still be a homeschool mom. I could still be there for my kids. I could do all the things. And the great thing was that when I was in bed and they were playing, I actually had a studio next to my bed. So I have a hospital table with the boom arm and the mic and the computer and everything. And I would just do all my things right from bed. I didn't even have to get up. And so that's how I got started doing all that. And uh, yeah, and now here I am. I've transitioned to Fabulous Over 50. One thing, if you're listening to this and you think, well, you know, I've got a chronic illness. That sounds interesting. I'll tell you that. After eight years, it was wonderful to help those moms. I still love my moms. I want to be there for these moms. The Hardy Mom website is still up because I think it's really important for people to have a resource. But when I would introduce myself, I was the sick mom. That was part of, you know, what's your podcast? And what I have seven kids and multiple chronic illnesses. I said that several times a day. And I think... I was telling myself how sick I was. I was telling myself I was sick over and over. And I realized it at this podcasting convention, all of a sudden I thought, oh my gosh, something had been off and I couldn't figure out what it was. And I was listening to someone else introduce their themselves as a victim because that's what their podcast is about. And I thought, oh, but you're saying you're a victim over and over. It doesn't sound, doesn't that make you feel bad? And I thought, oh, that's what I'm doing. And so I've found in the last two months, that introducing myself as someone who wants to empower women instead of someone who is sick has changed my whole perspective on myself. And so if you're someone who is sick, certainly you have to take care of yourself. And when, you know, notice your symptoms, but if you talk about it constantly, I really think it's not healthy. And it the power of words. Exactly. The power of words, you're speaking things over yourself, you're bringing things to life with words. Um, and the, so you don't do that podcast anymore. But what about the or I should say, I don't know, do you do that podcast anymore? You say you've shut that down. Was that ever a podcast? So yeah, it was you, a podcast. I did okay. 118 episodes. And so what I did was when I started Fabulous Over 50, I just took over the same feed. So those episodes are still there on the early side of fabulous over 50. And then now we're just going ahead because people are, who are over 50 may be dealing with a chronic illness or having grandchildren live with them and they need some parenting help because things are different than they were. Yes. Even when I raised my older mm-hmm. kids, the whole, the way you talk to children, the way you handle things are just different. And so mm-hmm. I thought, well, you know, it would serve my new audience to leave those episodes up so that they can, if they have questions, they can go back and check them out. So it's all still under fabulous over 50. So you're saying that the, as you follow the natural flow of your life, you find these places that have meaning and that's where you're looking for that purpose in life. So it could change. There are different phases to our purpose in life. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Because if you think about it, when you're a young mom, right, whether you work or don't work, those young children are generally speaking, not for all women, but for most women, your focus, right? Because they have to be, you have to keep these young humans alive. You know, you have to be know where they are every second and you have to be checking on them. And that is a purpose, whether it was you thought it was going to be your purpose or not, it has become your purpose. But then once they get older and they're teenagers, then your purpose changes to helping them navigate teenager and young adulthood. What are they going to do? They really need you to come alongside them and guide them and help them do research into all these things or help them find internships or do whatever they're going to do. But then when they move out and you're an empty nester, well, that's definitely not your purpose anymore to care for them. You you still love them, but it's a whole different style of parenting. And I think that's where my moms are now is, or my women are in that empty nest phase of, oh my gosh, I've lived this life. I had this focus. I thought that's who I was, but who am I now? What am I doing now? And I want to help them discover that they have a whole lifetime ahead of them. You have decades ahead of you. You know what you can do in decades? You can go to college. You can start a new career. You can start your own company. You can start a podcast. You could, you know, all kinds of different things. And you don't just have to sit at home in a rocking chair and knit for the rest of your life or wait for the grandkids to come over and bake them cookies. Although that sounds like a lot of fun. If I ever have grandkids, you know, I think that's what we used to think that older women did. And that's not the story that I'm hearing from women or necessarily what they want anymore. Because I know for me, my thing has always been my kids. And I never asked what's in it for me ever, because what was in it for me was the joy of watching them. But I found that in my fifties, there's been a little bit of that question. And part of it, me feels guilty for even thinking it, but it's there because I I've, feel like I've done a pretty good job. My older kids are out on their own. My younger kids are 11 and 13 and I see what's coming. I know they're going to move out. So if I don't start something for me now, I don't want to have that sudden sinking feeling that everyone's gone. So I've kind of started what I'm going to do now. Well, you make a good point and I'm not so sure I've thought of it like this because I was a stay-at-home mom, but it sounds like the stay-at-home mom and really any woman, but Sometimes as a stay-at-home mom, I questioned, um, you know, my purpose and whatnot. Is this all I'm supposed to be doing, raising kids, being somebody's wife? You know, that kind of thing when, I would, when you're in that burnout mode. And uh, but it sounds like you've given this new perspective or a new appreciation for the fact that a woman can discover many things about who she is through the care of her family. And as the phases change and their children's ages uh, change. It sounds like there's new things to discover, new things to invest yourself in while still caring for your family. So that's encouraging, I would think. Yeah. Well, because I didn't realize, you know, when you're raising your kids, if you do a good job, they're going to leave you. <laughs> and that's not something I considered when I was training them. I, I wanted all of them to know by 18 how to do the laundry, how to do the dishes, how to run a household. I would give them at different times, they each had the grocery budget for a full week and they bought our family's groceries so that they could see how to handle money and how to do all that. And we educated them about how to balance their bank account, you know, do all the things. And they did go to college and move out at 18 and they stayed out. And I thought, well, this is a big bummer, right? As, (laughs) as a stay-at-home mom, as a homeschooling mom, wait a minute. I, I thought there was more. 
what's happening now? You know, you're doing your own thing, which is great. And it's a success, but it also, it hurts a little bit. I'm not going to lie. It does. And so that's part of the reason I want to encourage women to find something for themselves in this time and not just pine away or feel like you've done something wrong or whatever, because the kids now, the adult children now, generally speaking, not all of them have a different viewpoint of family than say our generation did where you wanted to get together for those weekly dinners and you wanted to do all that stuff. Now they're doing their own thing. They're living, you know, I've got kids all over the United States and one in Germany, they're everywhere. And we're, you know, we did leave some of our kids when we moved to Florida, which was really hard because I didn't like that, but they kept saying they were going to leave Tennessee. So we thought we would leave. And then some of them didn't leave and now they're there, but it's just, it's a, honestly, it's a much more difficult time than I thought it would be. So a minute ago, we were talking about that burnout. So my opinion is, is that at one time or another, I feel like every woman has come to that place of burnout. And we wonder if this is all there is to life because we never stop being the individual woman that we are. And is there something behind that feeling, that burnout, that wishing there was something more? Is there something that can be pinpointed and then investigated to discover the root need? Because I think a lot of times I know I have chased the wrong thing without taking the time to get to the root of it. Is there any sort of common root cause for somebody? You know, you could think back actually in the Old Testament, God helps Moses lead everyone to the promised land, right? But in the middle of that, they're in the desert. And every day they've got manna. Every day they've got water. Every day they have everything they need. They're not slaves anymore. They're not in pain anymore. They've got this great life. And yet, what do they want? They want more. They want to complain. They want something else. And so I think that just shows us it's human. It's very human, even when we're in a good place, even when God is giving us everything we need and everything we asked for. Right. Because when you think about it, when they were slaves, they were probably praying things like, just get me out of this. I don't care what I do next. Just get me out. And he did. So they didn't say, just get me out, put me up in this great house. Let me have a variety of foods. Right. They said he answered their prayer. And they, they were complaining. So I think it's human nature. We always want the next thing. We always want a better thing. It's, it, we, we're driven that way, which is, it's, which is good. Because if you think about it before, you know, people, people had to seek out their food every single day. They had to seek out, you know, if they were nomadic, they had to seek out a place to live every, they were constantly seeking. And that's just our nature. I think a mom of young children, especially a stay at home mom of young children, that's what I know. So that's what I can speak to. You do have those moments of, oh my gosh, I just want to bang my head against a wall. I have not slept in months or years. And if I have to wipe poop off of one more thing, I'm going to lose my mind. And I think there's a lot to be said for having friends surround you that are going through the same thing. And maybe you can trade off children. I think there's just something miraculous about just having a few hours in your own home that resets. Cause I know every time I did that by the end of two hours, I was pining for my children. I just wanted them back. But another thing that I would recommend to everybody is that when I was going through that, I was 30 when I had my fourth child and I was going to this Bible study at this church and all the women were retirement age or more. I mean, there was a woman in there that was in her late eighties taking care of her daughter. It was wild. There was one 40 year old woman, everyone else 
And no other young moms wanted to be in that group with me because it was all older women. But they really lost out because the wisdom I got from these women. And I remember clear as day, this one moment it may make me cry, but I was just talking about, I was so tired and so worn out and they just needed, you know, they need, they just do. And, and they don't give, that's not their job. And, um, and I wasn't getting from anywhere else. And so I was just, uh, and they said, but you know, this woman said, I've got older children, you know, they're adults. Well, they were older than I was at the time. And she said, sometimes I don't hear from my son for months. I haven't seen him in years. And she said, you know, Go home, look at those babies in the eye and be thankful every moment they're in your presence. And I did. I went home and I looked at them and I thought, I might not talk to you, you know, for months. How would that even, how could I even fathom that? Mm -hmm. And so from then on, when I would start to feel like, is this really what I want? I would remember it's not forever and it's not. And so that really helped me get through it. So I think surrounding yourself with people that are older than you are in some way or, or having those older members of your family, which I did not, that were wiser, that could give me advice. So finding a way to do that with good godly people mm. that can help you get through those times and give you just words like that. You know, that well, lady had no idea that one yeah. little talk she gave me changed my whole life. Yeah. And even thinking about the example you gave about Moses bringing them out of the Israelites out of slavery and into the desert. Uh, I even think of the Garden of Eden. Look how perfect that was with the very presence of God (laughs) and being human like we are. What do we want? We want that fruit. The one thing that we've been told not to have. So I get the frustration. I get the burnout. But bring it back a little bit more to what you were just sharing. My mother-in-law, who my husband was the youngest of eight children. And so my mother-in-law would say all the time that she was a multimillionaire. And she was very down to earth, very plain, hardworking family of eight kids. So Mr. Pilkington, my father-in-law, would uh, work two and three jobs when necessary. He had been in the military and retired. And so I asked her, you know, the first time she said that, I, I it was clear to me they were not multimillionaires unless they were you know, hiding money that they didn't want to spend and that wasn't their nature. So she said, no, I line my children's shoes up and I say, which one would I give a million dollars for? And I would never, ever give a million dollars for one. And I have eight. So I am a multimillionaire. And that was her heart behind the whole process of raising eight children that could really just suck the energy and the life out of you on on any given day. So nice perspective, what you shared as well, because it's true. If you can't see them, talk to them, that's a whole nother story, a whole nother depth of uh, want or need. God is a fantastic dreamer and he desires for us to dream with him. Is it ever too late for a woman to start dreaming or chasing her dreams with God? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. If I, if I could start a podcast and write a book being almost bedridden and without much time to go. So they said anybody, I mean, at any phase you could do it. Absolutely. I don't think that, yeah, there's no phase at all that you can't. Did you feel an urgency once you knew you had this chronic disease and that they were telling you you were going to die? Was there an urgency to do something? Why didn't you just give up? Because I mean, if you're going to die, why invest yourself? You know, it's funny that you say that. So in 2014, I got the idea that my doctors didn't think I was going to make it, but I still kept pushing. And we got to 2018 where they told me 
we probably not going to make it another year. And, you know, back then my kids were five and seven and my younger ones, my older ones were out, but still I thought, you know, I don't, I don't want to give up, but clearly I was not doing well. I have a non-invasive ventilator that ventilator that actually breathes for me at night, like beyond the CPAP, it actually breathes in and out because my lungs need a break because they can't do it all the time. I have all kinds of crazy things. I shouldn't, I should not be even able to sit in a chair. I should be strapped to a chair and they have no idea why I can sit, let alone walk or stand. It's literally, it's a, it's a miracle. And so every day that I can do that is just a miracle. Even if you're on hospice, you can still decide to do something and do it because I was told that I wasn't going to make it. And here I am today. So no. And when in 2018, the doctors told me I had a year to live. And so you would ask, you know, why didn't I just give up? Well, you can't, I couldn't just give up. I don't know. It's not in me to just give up. So I had kids that are five and seven and I thought, you know, if I wasn't here, what would I want for my husband and my kids? And I would want them to be in a beautiful place with lots of things to do that was nice and relaxed. You know, I grew up in LA, Pace is crazy. We were in Nashville, Pace is getting crazy there. And and so we found this place. My husband wants to live by a military base because he's retired military. So we found this base in Florida on this island and we could actually afford to buy a house three blocks from the beach. And so let's do it. Let's move there. So we're going to live on this island. Well, I didn't tell them that it was really because I wanted to set them up for when I was gone because that's depressing to everybody. My husband did not want to talk about me passing. And I had a friend, thank goodness. I had a friend I could talk to that because I think you need to talk about it, but you don't need to make your family uncomfortable. So we talked about it and she said, you know, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. And so we came here and I, and I, I told everyone, well, you know, maybe the salt air will make my lungs better because it's true. Maybe this altar. And I believe that the ocean cures many things. I really do. It's amazing. And for me, it is my happy place. Mm. And I just, when I look at the ocean, I think if anyone thinks there's no God, you just need to go watch the ocean and Mm. what it does and how it works. And that did not just happen by two rocks banging together. But anyway, I digress. So I thought, you know, I'm going to move. And, and so we moved here in 2019, the year that I wasn't supposed to pass. And it's 2023. And here I am sitting in my studio in that home with my family. So, and another thing is that when we were talking about moving, God told my husband that this is where we're supposed to be. I think that's really important to share because we don't know anyone here. We have no family anywhere in Florida. And when we were talking about moving to the beach, he said this specifically is where God told him to move. And we followed that advice. And I think there is something to be said about obedience. And it really made me respect my husband so much because his family's back there too. And we left everybody. Left your support system, but you got Jesus as your support system. Exactly. (laughs) Sounds like he handpicked your house as well, as far as getting that ocean breeze and that ocean salty air. We were created out of a handful of dust. So I feel like aside from any man-made viruses, I feel like the body's healing is all found in natural resources, the soil, the plants, the animals, like you're saying, the sea, all of that stuff, um, because we're from it. The body is from it. How can... A woman know if she's walking out the plans that God has for her or the purpose of her life? Are there some things that we can 
we can notice or pick up on when we're walk, walking in our own power and our own understanding versus God's leading and wisdom? You know, there was a time when I was not going to church and things just were going sideways all over the place. And the reason we weren't going is because my children who are autistic could not go. And so they would go in the nursery and then my husband and I would just get dressed up to go to church and sit in a nursery. And we thought, well, we're not going to do that. So there was a few years and things just kept going badly. They really did. You know, we would try to one step forward, two steps back all over the place. Couldn't figure out what it was, right? Trying to do our own thing, trying to, you just push through, make it work. And it was actually in 2018, the year that my doctors told me I was not going to live very long. And I really sank into a depression. Um, and it was, it was pretty pretty rough. And there was one day when I was laying in bed and just thinking, I never want to get out of this bed. I don't. And my husband said, you know, we need to be back in church. We need to be with our church family. And so he found a church. He pointed to, I remember he just tapped his phone super. This, this is it. This is where we're going. And it was a, such a God thing because, you know, my kids who hadn't been, don't like crowds, don't like big buildings, don't like people in general. And they didn't, they do now. And uh, we walked into this church and you literally, the four of us heard the angels, like the hallelujah chorus. We all heard it. It was not playing anywhere anyone else could hear, but it was like this, ah, you know, and that was it. That was it. We went went to church. My husband took the class to join the church. We did all the things and it, we were plugged in from the moment we walked in the door. That was it. And that's where things started changing. So I think for me in my life, it is very clear. Did I see that that was the problem when I was in the problem? No. But now that I've taken a step back, so I think if you know that you're not walking with God, you're not reading your Bible, you're not going to church, you're not doing the things that you feel called to do, and things aren't going well, it's time to look at that, definitely, and and pray and ask God, what am I supposed to be doing, and follow His lead instead of our own. That's when I know I'm I'm moving in my own strength is when I am frustrated, when I've hit the wall, when nothing's working out, my prayers aren't being answered, and then I have to stop and reevaluate exactly. What are you doing, Sherry? Exactly who is leading who right now? And that's usually when I regroup, get back into relationship with God. And earlier you mentioned obedience and even now you're talking obedience. That's all we have to really offer God is our obedience. What else is there that he would desire that we could offer him that's of a king's level of uh, worthiness? But obedience and I think it's always about our heart anyway. The heart seems to be the trophy because whatever you put your um, passion into, your love, your affection, your devotion, it's always about the heart. What is a scripture that a woman can be encouraged by when she's gotten to the end of a rope, she's tied a knot and she's hanging on? What can help her get reoriented and then grounded in God? Second Samuel chapter 22. You ready? Yeah. Starting at verse 17, he reached out from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. And then verse 20 is it. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. And I think, wow, you know, no matter where we are, 
God is there and he can rescue us and he delights in us. And when you're down and when you're sad and you are feeling unlovable because humans are human, knowing that the God of the universe, he delights in you and he, he's can help you. Like that's the ultimate for me. If there is only one thing left of this life, and that would be to know that God is with you in whatever circumstance you have. I think it's enough. I think it's enough to get through, in my opinion. Absolutely. Yeah. I've been in some pretty rough spots. And if I didn't have God, I don't know what would happen. Speaking of that, because I think about being diagnosed with a chronic illness, I have never had that happen. And think about just the fear that that has the ability to put into your life as a mother who wants to see her children grow and do all the, you know, the milestones of life and participate in those with them. And, but you did a book called How to Live Well with Chronic Illness. And it was a, it's a journal for moms. What are some of the tools that you put in this book? So I love the five-year journal idea and I fell in love with it when in, two, in 2020, we all know what happened. And I had this little tiny five-year journal where you could write a sentence a day. And I wrote what was happening in the world. And as it was still happening in 2021, and I went back and I could read, this is what I was feeling. And I thought, oh my gosh. So some days I wrote, I'm feeling the same thing. You know, there's this dread, there's this fear, there's this overwhelming sense of chaos in the world and da, da, da. And then other days I felt good and, and I could go back and measure. And every year I go back and I can see, you know, is there a pattern? Is there a pattern to this season? Is there a pattern to this day? Is there, you know, whatever. And, but there wasn't enough room to write and because there's more than one sentence a day, most days. And I thought, why don't people make a full size five-year journal? Then you can write a paragraph about and really compare because you're not going to take your journals from different years and open them to the same. Like that's just too much work for me. And so I made these full size journals and every month there's a prompt to get you if, if for the sick, the one for sick moms, maybe get your medical information in order. And so that's your, that's your goal for that month. I give you a suggestion and then you, as the person who's writing, you write how you're specifically going to do that that month. And then the great thing is you get back to that section the next year and you think, well, did I do this? Did it work? Did it not work? Do I want to do it again in a different way? Do I want to keep going? And then you move on. And, and so it helps you put things in order, that book, but it also helps you learn how to focus on positive things. Not that fake positivity. I hate that when people are like, just be positive, you'll feel better. Well, but how? How am I going to do that? So focusing on the things that make you feel good, that make you happy. Focusing on how to engage with your children, no matter how you feel, so that you don't have that guilt. Because as moms, we have guilt all over the place. And as a sick mom, it is exponentially multiplied. And so it, it helps moms deal with all the things that, I went through as a mom with chronic illness so that they would have a tool to help them get through it. And it's so big, you're never going to lose it. And the reason people don't do full-size five-year journals, I discovered, is it is actually two and a half pounds of paper. So yeah, it's big. 
but but you will be able to find it. But I'm thinking what a great tool it is, because you're right. I couldn't tell you where my journals were from last year and I hardly write in them at all. But if I thought there was a process and that I was going to be able to compare, like there's some accountability in looking at from one year to the next and being given specific prompts, that's helpful because I like order and I like specifics in my life rather than trying to take a look at my whole day and try to decide what I want to write about. If it's specific to a certain task, that's very helpful, I think, to cut away all the clutter and get down to the the point of things. There's a lot of intentionality and purpose in that. And I think that's beneficial to somebody's life. I think I, I like that. And I love that you're bringing life to someone with chronic illness because I haven't had to deal with it. But when I think of chronic illness, I think that it's limited and it is stifling and that there's no options, but it sounds like you have discovered so many things about it that you can still enjoy and have life to the fullest. Exactly. That's encouraging. That's the tagline on my website, right? Helping you live the life of your dreams, even if you can't get off of the couch. And a lot of it though has to do with finding contentment where you are. So if I, and, and not wishing your life away. So if I would say, when I can run, I will be happy. When I can not have pain, I will be happy. If when I, well, I'm never going to get there. So then I'm never going to be happy. Right. So it's saying today I do have pain. I cannot run, but today I can do what I can to make the pain be as little as it is. I am so thankful I can sit and stand and walk. And so I will be thankful and be happy in that today. And that change of perspective is huge and completely necessary if you want to be happy, I think at all, because we tend to wish our lives away. And when you're told that you don't have that many days, you tend to stop wishing it away because Mm -hmm. you want to embrace every day that you've got. So I think it's very helpful. And I think you don't have to be given a, a prognosis of a certain amount of time to choose to live that way. It sounds like there's some tough mental work to do to shift that perspective. Or is it just that you get hit in the face with the reality check that life could potentially be over, that then you can shift that perspective? I think, you know, for me, when it, when I first heard, I mean, I wasn't just like, oh, great, I'm going to change my perspective and have this great life now. Right, you know, yeah. it was not it. It took it took about a year probably to really you know, you go, you go through the process of grieving. In fact, on the Hardy Mom website, I have a whole page for people with a new diagnosis or for their supporting people so that they can understand that you, you go through the seven stages of grieving, just like if someone dies. And so you've got to get through that to be able to come on the other side and that it's okay to let yourself feel those things. That's another thing culturally where, you know, just get over it, just stop, just stop being sad and replace it with happy. Well, that doesn't have, that's not human. I I don't know why we always tell each other that. I think, you know, you allow yourself to feel it and move on. And another thing that I talk about is actually giving yourself permission to have a pity party. So take five minutes, you set a timer and you're allowed to whine and yell and cry and say all the things out loud, get them out that are bothering you. And then when that timer beeps, you're done. And it's funny because people say, don't I need longer? You really don't. When you're doing it, five minutes is a really long time. And you, I think, discover 
okay, there was only that amount of things that I had that I was really worked up about. And then you you get them out and then you do feel better than just shoving them down. Because, you know, when we shove them down, they're still in there. When we release it and not talking about it every day, like we were talking about before, right? Where you put yourself in it, but just a set amount of time. You do it and it's over. We're done. It helps. And this book, this journal that you did, does that have those things? Did you say that had the 50 things that you can do? No, that's the sick mom's guide to having fun again. And I'm actually redoing that book to go more, a little bit more with the journal okay. so that they're a little, it's more of a companion book to do oh, nice. the two things. Yeah, So you can read the book, but then you can keep going with the journal and uh, yeah. Oh, nice. Bouncing back to the 50 year old. Uh, what are some good things about turning 50? You know, there are some good things. Um, there's some sad things. I don't know. I felt I had feelings about 50. But the one thing that I've talked to all the women who are over 50 and everybody says, you really stop caring as much whatever other people think. <laughs> and a beauty. So I was raised in Los Angeles where, you know, you can never be too rich or too thin was the thing. Right. And so you got to, you know, your body has to be a certain way. Your nose has to be a certain way. Your belly has to be flat. Like you have to, well, and part of the reason I left is to get my girls out of that environment, because it, for me, it was not healthy. I really have struggled with anorexia and with body image, but for some reason, turning 50, I was bigger than I've ever been, but happier with my body that I've ever been. Mm -hmm. Because up until then, when people would say things like, you look great for having six kids. I feel like that's a backhanded compliment. Uh, you know, things like that. It would make me upset. But now... I don't know. I, I'm fine. You look great for being fine. I, whatever. Right. But I don't really care what you say because I'm comfortable in my body. I'm more comfortable in what I believe and what I think. I've had 50 years to put my thoughts together and to have reasons behind what I think. I'm more secure in myself and my opinions. And I, there, I don't know. And I feel like I don't have to follow the trends of everything anymore either. Because I realize they're just trying to sell me stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So for me, it's, it, it, yeah, once I got past, it was another grieving thing, I think. But uh, once I got past, it was a lesser one. There's a lot of good in it. I think so too. I, like you, agree that you get to this place where you're comfortable in your own skin and you really rely on your inner circle to tell you the truth. Anybody else's opinion really don't, doesn't hold weight with me because I really don't care what you think. Um, and so I think there's a lot of freedom in that. Is there anything that I have not asked you about that you want the listeners to know? It's really important to know who you are and what your purpose is and to pursue that. Don't put it off. And think, well, in 10 years, I'll do this thing. If it's important to you in 20 years, I'll do this thing. If it's important, take the baby steps now to get there. Because while we don't want to live our lives in dread that something might happen, we, it's a finite amount of time that we have. And so if you really want to do it, do it. And also just be a good person. Be the best person that you can be because... The world needs more of them. Final question for you. If our listeners only remember one thing about our conversation, what would that one thing be that you want them to remember? Live your life for God and ask him what he wants you to do and follow that.
Jen, you've been fantastic. How I appreciate you coming and talk about chronic illness, being 50 plus, and then overcoming all of that, all of these obstacles and, and, and finding the beauty in life as you move forward. So thank you so much for being a guest today. I appreciate you. Oh, thank you for having me. I appreciate you having me on the show. I love it. It's been fun. Thanks. Thank you for your time and for sharing this experience with my guest. I hope you have found encouragement for today and a deeper revelation of God's heart in the midst of pain and suffering. We'd love to have you as a subscriber to Finding God in Our Pain so that you can be connected with all my guests as they share their personal experiences and professional knowledge about pain and suffering. And because this podcast is a division of the website, A Life of Thrive, for more information and the various ways you can connect with us, please visit the website, alifeofthrive.com. I look forward to sharing more transparent stories from the hearts of women who intimately know what it means to have their world flipped upside down, their authentic struggle to make sense of it, and what recovery and healing looks like. Till then, sweet woman, remember you are not alone and that God speaks the most beautiful things in the dark.